In this lesson, we'll teach you how to be scientifically happy in five steps. And to be clear, happiness is a fleeting emotion. There is no way to always be happy. It's not even a good goal. But there are ways to be happier more often, and they are proven. Let's get into them today. Would you rather win a million dollars or get in a car accident and lose the feeling in your legs? The answer is seemingly obvious. Although one study found that after a year in either situation, your happiness levels actually return to right about where they were. If you're already happy, no matter if you win a million dollars or you lose your legs, you'll adapt to the new reality and you'll go back to your original happiness. Whereas if you're miserable, you'll go back to the misery, regardless of your condition. This study proved that happiness has little to do with your outward circumstances and more therefore your inner world, how you think, what you believe, and what you focus on, which is good news. These you can control. Part one, time. Back when I was the CEO of MentorBox, I used to take my new hires out on lunch every time they had a first day. And I would talk to them about our culture, what to expect, and so on. I remember one of my new hires once asked me, if you're constantly trying to get better, if you're always reading new books and learning new things, if you're always wanting something else, how are you ever happy now? That's a good question. And one at the heart of this happiness paradox. This was my answer. I'm happy right now. I'm having an incredible cup of coffee and a delicious meal. The sun is out. It's a beautiful day. I can hear the seagulls, which remind me of the grandness of our world. You and I are here. We're both breathing, alive. What's there not to be happy about? You might think happiness will appear once you reach the end of the rainbow, once you're a millionaire, or once you've found the love of your life, or you sent your child to Harvard. There's a finish line you must cross to be happy. But this belief is paradoxical actually the cause of your distress. Happiness is here right now waiting for you to pick it up. Think about it. It can't possibly be in the future because the future doesn't exist. It can only ever be now. And listen, I know on this channel, I talk and talk and talk about the future. I've asked you to set your goals far ahead into the time in the future. And I believe it's essential to do this if you want to be successful, however you define that. But no matter what, you also can't forget that all you have is this present moment. Now, is where you live. So don't waste your time being miserable and thinking about happiness will come later. It won't. Dear friend, as you walk the path of your own hero's journey, your own success and your own goals, if you want to change the world and all of that, I implore you to also enjoy the great gifts of this life. Don't delay joy for later. Experience things. See the world. Taste every bite. Have incredible sex. Eat the fruits of every tree. You can do all of that simultaneously and try to create a greater future for yourself. It's possible because there's always this sweet spot between enjoying the present and obsessing about the future. If you're only thinking of the momentary moment right now, your relationships and your career will suffer because you'll become stagnant. On the other hand, if you're too forward thinking, continuously chasing the carrot stick, you'll lose the ability to stop and smell the roses right now. The ancient Greeks had two opposing philosophical traditions, hedonism and eudaimonism. To be hedonistic is to try to avoid pain and maximize pleasure. Taken to its pop culture extreme, hedonism is a slippery slope towards justifying being unethical, nasty, brutish, and selfish. That's why most self-development books criticize hedonists and applaud eudaimonism, the pursuit of good. While hedonism is accepting a job just because of the good salary, eudaimonism is working for a company that serves the world regardless of the pay. Hedonism is eating sugar and junk food because we only live one life or say la vie, whereas eudaimonism is eating whole foods. And I believe that there's a middle ground between the two, a sweet spot where you can be good and also happy, where you can work at the meaningful job that pays also well, and you can eat 
your salad, but maybe have a chocolate for dessert. You can give money to charity, but also reward yourself by buying that luxury car that you've always wanted. You can reinvest in your company and give yourself a Christmas bonus. More importantly, understand that happiness is not this versus that. It's not a win versus a loss or an opposition to anything else. Happiness is here. It's now. And you can find it if you look hard enough. Part two, wonder. Have you ever been to a historical or a natural landscape that left you feeling awestruck? The top of a mountain, the Parthenon, the Great Pyramids, or you get goosebumps maybe every time you hear that one song or you read your favorite poem. How did they do that? How does such splendor even exist? We're all born with this sense of wonder, by the way. As an author who aspires to write fiction, I've learned that middle grade novels have to convey this sense of wonder because that is what children care about. It's what we used to care about. Children don't care about romance or murder mysteries. They don't want to experience fear or the thrill of a horror story. They want to feel wonder, to accompany Alice on her adventure and see magical things through her eyes. They want to be fascinated, amazed, astonished. This is what makes the difference between a great middle grade author and someone who can't tell the difference between a children's book and adult novel. The sad truth is that as we grow older, we often lose this sense of wonder and hence the ability to be content and to find joy joy in the little things. And unless we reclaim this, we're doomed. Our lives become magicless, charmless. To quote Albert Einstein, he who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. So what is this wonder I'm talking about? To you as an adult trying to pay your mortgage and send your kids to college or scale your business, what does it mean to wonder? Do you have to wait for a trip to the Grand Canyon to feel this awe? What can you do to get back your inborn ability to see magic and everything around you? In short, wonder is to ask a question, any question, intending to see things for what they truly are. Your ego doesn't matter. What you want doesn't matter. For if it does, your perception will always be distorted in a way then wonder is disconnecting from the worldview you've created for yourself and looking at everything as if you were this curious alien. Imagine yourself actually as an alien who's visiting Earth for the very first time. Everything you see is new and fascinating. Traffic? What is that? Why are all these cars still standing still? Fascinating. Your boss suddenly yells at you and everyone for seemingly no reason? Just laugh. Why is this earthly being being so loud? How can such a small creature make such a funny noise? Fascinating. I know this sounds strange, but I'm serious. If you look at things through the eyes of an alien, everything around you will change. Make this as an exercise to help you cultivate a sense of wonder for a few minutes every day. Pretend as if everything you see is new and exciting, like a form of meditation. Ask questions, even if you know you won't get an answer. Just be curious. You might look at your coffee mug and you know that it's made of ceramic or that it has your college logo printed on it, but you'll never know how this mug came to be. Who took part in making it and bringing that mug to you? What are their stories? How is it made? Granted, you'll never know the answer to these questions, but that's the beauty of wonder. It makes you humble. It opens your eyes to the grandness of the world and your own insignificance compared to the universe. It adds meaning to everything. It makes you happier. So. Act like an alien and look at things with wonder, things that you can't necessarily perceive at first glance.
Who knows? Maybe you might stumble upon the answers that change the way that you see the world. Part three, giving. In the happiness hypothesis, Jonathan Haidt gives a few examples of things that can make you happier. A dog, a cat, any pet, a plant, or many plants. Notice the pattern here. Taking care of something else other than yourself drastically increases your happiness because it gives you purpose. It pulls you out of your own ego trap that allows you to experience a meaningful connection to the animal or the plant or even the person that you're helping. This means that any altruistic act will give a similar effect. Studies shows that volunteering or other altruistic behaviors activate areas of the brain associated with pleasure, connection, trust. They produce happy hormones, endorphins, giving you that helper's high. Granted, not everyone has the capability to serve meals at a shelter or to travel to Kenya to build a school. Not everyone is capable of taking care of a dog or even a cactus. But no matter how busy or exhausted you are, I bet you can still send money to a charity every month or so. Research has shown that spending money on others feels better than spending it on yourself. The only obstacle here is your own mind. If you believe giving money will make you poor or that the less fortunate are leeching on your hard work, you won't obviously be able to feel the joy of giving. Whereas instead, if you put your ego aside and realize that helping each other is why we are here, you'll experience happiness maybe that you've never known before. And don't worry, by the way, I'm not asking you to give half your fortune to the orphans or do anything drastic. It's not how much we give, it's how much love we put into giving. That's Mother Teresa. I want you to practice giving as a form of love, love towards yourself, towards your pet, towards others, and towards the world. Find a cause that you care about or someone you're genuinely like to help and give them something, your time, maybe some money, maybe some help, even just good thoughts or prayers. Volunteer at an animal shelter, read to the elderly, plant trees in your community forests. Giving has so many forms, which means that there are many ways for each one of us to help to serve the greater good and to bring happiness, therefore, amongst each other and ourselves. Part four, grief. In kindergarten, we were taught that the opposite of happy is sad. A toddler can tell that the emoji with the wide grin is happy, whereas the one with the teary eyes is not happy. It makes sense for schools to simply simplify these things in a way so that children can understand and comprehend the paradoxes of life. They can't understand that two opposing emotions can actually be true at the same time and that humans are more complicated than emojis. As we expand on the concept of happiness, we must pause therefore and redefine what it is to be happy. Does it make you happy if on a given day you feel more positive emotions than negative? The answer is somewhat yes. Feeling generally good is a part of what happiness is, but does this mean a bad day, a bad week, or a bad month makes you an unhappy person? Absolutely not. Happiness includes a range of emotions and mindsets that participate in your general well-being. The obvious examples are optimism and having a purpose in life. If you have a great purpose that guides you, you can still be happy even if you're having a bad day because the momentary failures are necessary and part of the general adventure. And by being on that adventure, you are meta happy. A less obvious, less intuitive aspect of happiness, therefore, is knowing how to grieve and appreciate your failures and your setbacks. Yes, I said it. Being sad or processing your sadness in a healthy way is a part of living a happy life. If your goal is to be so happy that you don't experience any negative emotions when things go wrong, well, you're 
you're just setting yourself up for failure and you're lying to yourself. Grief, loss, threats, failure, and rejection are all parts of your human experience. They hurt because they're supposed to hurt because this is how you grow and how you learn. Denying that and trying to force positive emotions on yourself doesn't make you happy. It makes you dysfunctional. When faced with great adversity, such as the loss of a loved one, the obvious example, we react in three different ways usually. One, we deny the feelings, thus staying stuck in them for the longest time. Or two, we break and we lose sight of ourselves and, and our purpose possibly forever. Or three, we grieve healthily. To grieve is obviously the best. It allows yourself to feel the pain and to reflect on the experience with compassion, not judgment. Allowing yourself to feel sad, this is how you feel, but also accept that in the moment of grief, there can also be joy and love and gratitude. When you allow yourself to grieve your setbacks, your failures, so long as you self-reflect and learn the lesson that you were meant to learn, you come out of the experience stronger, more compassionate, more resilient, and yes, happier. You realize that happiness, therefore, is more than a good mood. Happiness encompasses everything that a good life is. It embraces grief because it means there's love. It embraces failure as a stepping stone towards success. Happiness is much grander in this way than we often know, yet it's in your hands. Part five, success and happiness. Which comes first? You already know that happiness is independent of your life circumstances. To be happy, you need to balance your hedonistic and eudaimonistic tendencies to enjoy the moment while also walking the path of being a hero. But that begs the question, which comes first? Are you happy because you're successful or successful because you're happy? Conventional wisdom dictates that if you work hard and you achieve your goals, you'll become happy. Success in this reading comes first. But the truth is that unless you're happy, you might not be able to work hard in the first place. Studies found that happy people are more likely to have fulfilling relationships and high incomes and superior work performance, community involvement, and robust health, even a long life. It makes sense that when you experience positive emotions, you're more motivated to work and you act more compassionately in your relationships. At the same time, people who struggle with depression are often missing work or delivering low quality performance, which also makes sense. So if you're drowning in the ocean of negative thoughts, sadness and depression, how do you expect to achieve anything? Now, I'm not saying this to put you down or to somehow blame you for anything that you might be going through right now. On the contrary, my goal is to simply show you why your happiness matters, why your well-being matters, and how you can claim it. If you're still watching this, I'm pretty sure you're already seeking happiness, but I want you to know that you don't have to wait to achieve anything to be happy. In fact, make it a goal to be happy before you have a goal. If you're struggling, take time off to heal, if applicable. A long mental health break where you rediscover yourself and what makes you happy. Sometimes you have to go backwards a bit to build a foundation before you can move forward, and that's okay. Get used to eliminating whatever easy eats away at your joy. If your job is making you cry, quit. If you're in a toxic relationship, walk away. Say, screw this about whatever is giving you pain for no reason. You're not meant to wither underneath a pile of negative emotions or negative people. You're meant to be a hero. And for that, you need to be happy. There are techniques like gratitude and awe and wonder and being an alien and giving to others and understanding that happiness is only now. We went over this already. But also, and more importantly, you must recognize that there's no end of the rainbow to happiness. It's not going to come after you reach your goal because then there will just be another goal after that one, especially for high achievers. It's never ending. Therefore, do not wait until you're successful. Just be happy now. Part six, gratitude. Life is a cosmic lottery win. 
Ever since I was a child, I've been fascinated by the biggest questions of humanity. Why are we here? What are we made of? Who started us or sparked all of this? Is there a God? What is gravity? Why does it exist? Why does anything exist? And if we exist, then how should we act? What is the best political system? What is a fair tax system? What makes people good? What makes people bad? Honestly, I'm scared of how obsessed I am with these questions. I started this channel hoping to take on some of these worries for you, to go down the rabbit hole on your behalf, resurfacing with a few golden nuggets, I hope, for some food to nurture our souls. I do not wish upon you my existential curiosity, for often it's maddening. So don't disparage yourself for not being as obsessed with the existential, I got you. Though now that we're on the same page, I want to challenge you on one existential question, consciousness. Consciousness is one of the final frontiers of humanity, a singularity around which psychology, physics, spirituality, art, and philosophy all orbit. I'll be honest with you, I don't have an answer to what consciousness is or how it came to be. Obviously, I'm but a pauper compared to the masters who are currently working to unpack this greatest of mysteries. Yet, I've studied the idea enough to come up with a practical application for what we do know. I've learned that physicists discovered that everything is made of matter, which is made of atoms, which is made of quarks, they say, at least we think. The point being that at some level, there exists some fundamental constituent of matter, the sky and the sun, the children playing in the park, the car you're driving, the pen or pencil. Deep down, all of those things are made up of the same stuff. So what does that say about us? If we are made of the same stuff as a rock, the only difference between life and non-life on a spectrum of consciousness, a plant is conscious enough to react to its environment, a lizard is more conscious than a bug, then come mammals with humans on top of the hierarchy. We are the most self-aware, obviously. We know that we are a being existing in and interacting with the world. In this sense, the only difference between me and a paperclip is that I am highly organized, self-reflective version of the paperclip. Cliff. What are the chances of the universe, therefore, creating a thinking being who has superior awareness over other things? What are the odds that I am here rather than being a ball of gas and a star billions of light years away or a beam of light bouncing off of Mars? It's one over infinity, which reduces to zero. Mathematically speaking, there is a zero percent chance that we are here alive right now. In comparison, winning the lottery is basically a guarantee. Of all the random possible amalgamations in the universe, you existing as you do is a miracle. It doesn't matter whether you believe the universe has organized itself that way because there was a creator or because it was random. It doesn't matter. The fact that you are here is still true. Somehow, the universe or God has organized itself in the form of you, a being so advanced and so aware that it has spent its entire life collectively and individually attempting to figure itself out. So now, as we come to the end of this lesson, I ask of you, since you are not a rock or a paperclip, since you've been given this gift gift of consciousness, will you be worthy of it? Will you live up to your own potential? Will you do something meaningful? Will you acknowledge the beauty that's all around, the wonder? Or will you squander this opportunity away like a nihilist too scared to walk the right path? Happiness in this reading is a choice, and it's on you for you to decide day in and day out. I hope you'll make the right decision, and you'll use everything that you learned today here on your journey. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Cheers.